Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst from Faster Skier. We are back with a recap of the men's pursuit race from World Championships in Planitza. Longtime Canadian racer Jess Cockney joins us for today's show. We will be back in a minute. Boulder Nordic Sport is the industry-leading resource for cross-country ski equipment, waxing, stone grinding, and hand-selected skis. Whether you're looking to tour the local park, finish your 15th Berkey in style, or aiming for the next Olympic team, Boulder Nordic Sport's passionate staff can help you find the perfect gear for your skiing experience. Visit bouldernordic.com to shop one of the biggest selections of ski gear in the country, download a digital copy of the annual BNS magazine, or sign up for one of our professional race wax services for world masters and other key races. You can also find extensive waxing instruction on the BNS YouTube channel. Hey guys, Dan. Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Yeah, life's good. Nice. I love it. So it's, uh, it's good watching when you see how the conditions play out today. It's better to be on the sidelines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Like it's crazy watching yesterday and seeing like day one of the championships and it's already like soup, like Oof. the 50 and the 30 on the last days oh are going to be savage. Yeah, they're going to be super savage. Nat, good yeah. to see you again. I'm impressed you're still awake at 7.15. Good job. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I can. Nice. I guess we should introduce Jess, although Jess is like, I feel like Alex Harvey and Jess Cockney are, they're kind of like the mainstays. If this was like a Bill yeah. Simmons podcast, you know how there's there was that like um I forget the guy's name, but there was a guy on the World Cup who like continued race. He was he was like Eastern European, maybe like Ukrainian. He he was like uh racing until he was like 45 years old or something and still kind of shredding. And like that's that's Jess and uh and uh, Alex <laughs> for, for the podcast at this point. Yeah, exactly. They just keep coming back and and um but it you know what there's a reason why they keep coming back. Cause all they do is win baby. They just keep delivering. <laughs> so we got it. I like it. I like it. You guys are my, my hike team in the morning. Keep yeah, it coming. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I love, and this is how, you know, Jess doesn't have kids is when he says you guys are my hype team in the morning and it's 1120 AM in Camor or Camor Calgary. <laughs> Actually, I find myself today on uh, Pacific time. I'm in Kelowna visiting okay. my wife. So I get a little bit of an hour. Uh, okay. 10, like 10, there. 10 yeah. 20. Okay. That's morning. Yeah. We'll give it to you. We'll give it to yeah, you. Yeah. So 30K today. Wait, wait, 30. We, still, yeah. we, we, we probably should introduce Jess a little bit, right? Like, <laughs> no. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll introduce him. For people that have just joined us, quite frankly, that shocks me. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, Jess Cockney was a teammate of mine for the better part of a decade on the Canadian national ski team and has raced both in the Olympics and the world championships and has a number of top 10 finishes individually in the world cup. So he knows what he's talking about. Maybe not quite so much when it comes to a 30 K no top tens on the world cup in 30 Ks, but Jess has seen a lot of 30 Ks and raced some as well. So he is, uh, obviously has been a professional skier for a long, long time and made a lot of waves throughout his career. So for those that haven't heard his voice before, it's, uh, that's yeah, always great to have him, have him join. Yeah. Thanks for having me back guys. All right, now we can get to to shit talking uh, Norwegians and and everybody else. Yeah, and I, th yeah, and I thought I thought like 
I was not really looking forward to this 30k to be perfectly honest because some of the men's races haven't been the most exciting um that said my dreams became reality when it was definitely not exciting in the classic part of this race you saw Eva go to the front a few times press the pace a little bit but generally it was a 15k comfort cruise and that left me with uh, a lot to be desired. And then, and then the skate, then the skate like happened and it kind of like snapped me back to 2010 in the Olympics in Whistler when they came out of the transition and then just fireworks happened right from the first thing. And then I was on the edge of my seat and I thought it was awesome. what do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. Like the classic was pretty straightforward. You could tell like Eva wanted to make a couple moves. Um, but like, Claybo did a really good job, I thought, of like cutting the sting out of any of Evo's attacks. Like that course really seems to be set up as like one humongous downhill followed by like climbing all the way back to the top of the course. And one thing Claybo did a really awesome job of was like making all of his positions starting that climb at the the end of the downhill, like probably two or three seconds ahead of Evo. So Evo couldn't just like start with like open track ahead of him and and have that like space to just like drill it up the hill. He kind of had to make up like a couple meters to Claybo and then then try his attack. So, I mean, it's just another example of Claybo being the smartest skier in the world. Yeah, I I um I love this race. It was um I it, it I was initially so I'm I'm out there um. I don't really have any special privileges as a reporter and, you know, we're kind of the way the course courses were set up today with the classic and skate. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I was like out on the hill, like with fans, uh, which was rad. I literally was out there running back and forth from like fence to fence with Shurotas and Johannes Kleibo's dads. Who I just, I mean, again, it's like, imagine watching a football game next to Tom Brady's dad like that is what is happening here dude is like out there in a mask there's like Norwegian cameramen like falling around he's like running from like hill to hill yelling it at Johannes Kleibo and also like uh you know they were like uh Schur's dad was like yelling for Kruger like it was it was kind of cool um but the classic course it was kind of hilarious they they would come through the stadium and then they just like disappeared into the woods. The classic course, it like there was there was no everyone who had paid for tickets and or was an accredited journalist, like we're just watching on TV. But then for the for the skate leg, it was it just was like a you know um what you, a clover kind of deal where they were just you could watch like almost the whole thing, and so these guys were like going by on that huge uphill and then they were going by on that like crazy sketchy left-hander coming back into the stadium and it yeah it was I thought it was like a thrilling race really fun to watch even you know I, I didn't really I cared a little bit that it was only Norwegians uh you know kind of dueling for the win but also just like can we talk about the fact that it seemed like the decisive moment for the race was the ski Yeah, that's amazing. And that's what I want to talk about because like, that's what happened in 2010 in the Olympic skiathlon as well. Like back in those days, Johan Olsen clipped into his skate skis and just drilled it and, and made the race. Like it exploded the whole race. It took Petter Nortag, who is the heavy, heavy favorite, like right out of it right away. 
Um, even though it came all back together a little bit, that chase group came back together, but they, they ended up coming back to Johan Olsen in that time and, and Helner won, but, um, Petter didn't. And today, Shiodata and, and, uh, Kruger were so fast putting their skis on and you saw like Klebo was really struggling with the turnmatics there in the, in the box and missed like five, six seconds right away in the transition. And that was it. Like that was the ball game and they never came back. That said, given the conditions, and I don't know what you thought, Jess, and that, but like Kruger's technique in those kind of conditions, it's no surprise to me that the lightest guys in the field almost, while well, the French did really well too, they're light guys too. But, um, you know, Kruger's technique in pretty raunchy conditions in skating was amazing. And he kept the same tempo, same angles the whole way. I thought shoot off the ski to super disciplined race as well um to secure that bronze medal and playbo really had no chance and that's and also you were there you're there so you can talk about this you're talking about the cloverleaf but like there was two well one majorly long working section in skating and as much as claybo was making up time on those descents that he was and the flatter sections through the stadium and stuff that long climb like i mean on a day like cougar had today it was the writing was on the wall i mean that's how you ski if you want to win the world championship in those conditions. I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah, for sure. Like watching Kruger stay like composed and relaxed up all those climbs. Like he, he looked like a guy that was like really ready to win and sure. Like that was one of the sure's better races this year. It was great to see him like show up at the 30 K. Um, and yeah, Claybo's style, like his sort of like fits and starts that he skis with, uh, like really didn't lend to like trying to chase back to the group like that. Um, and for a while there, I actually thought that Paroma and Goldberg were going to like make their way back to him because there was a couple parts on the course with the, the way the cameras were set up. It looked like they were making time on him. Claybo was kind of doing his like, is he about to crack, kind of wobbling the shoulders, heads down a little bit. Um, like I didn't really trust him for a little bit. And then, of course, in the end, he does end up catching sure and, and outgunning him to the line. But um, yeah, like really great to see. Kruger missing so much of the Olympics last year, not getting a chance to do the skiathlon in Beijing, like get a chance to like really throw it out today at the the skiathlon for the championship. I felt like there was, uh, I, it, you know, it's hard because I actually wasn't really watching it like on the board. I was just kind of running around on that, on that uh, hill where the whole skate lap was taking place but it really felt like i think it was on the second of four skate laps like there was really like a moment where i just kind of look was looking i was looking at them and i looked away and i looked back up again and you, it just felt like there was this decisive point where clivo just kind of gave up he was like this is not doable for me and he left that little gap for him and those guys were gone i i honestly i mean i think it's fascinating and i i think clivo like doesn't get enough credit or maybe he gets plenty of credit but you know there was so much hype for Clybo around this championships you know the Norwegian press was talking about the potential for him to win six gold medals and you know probably if you asked him what he really thought he was going to be able to do here you know he would have said that's a stretch but still I mean that was the kind of pressure he was under and then to see that just kind of like in a flash gone on a day like this get dropped by you know two of your teammates i i think Clybo like skied a pretty impressive race to stay with it that whole time and then to actually 
real sure road to back in after he'd been dropped. And then, you know, there were a couple of times when it looked like he was maybe coming back a little bit on Kruger and didn't get it. But, you know, it, it, it at the same time, it was like, I was kind of watching that being like, you know, it's a crazy, completely crazy notion and not that this was something that I seriously thought, but it's like, you know, for, for him to lose the lead like that, it's like, you're like, is he going to drop out? Like, what is he racing for anymore? You know, like, I, I don't know, like Clybo, he just, it, the, the win is so like, you, you, I feel like sure. Rota probably left today and was like, hell yeah, I, I got a bronze medal. Whereas like Clybo's, you know, goes home and, you know, feels like silver. He, that that's going to like go in some broom closet somewhere in his house. It's something he's going to be ashamed of. Uh, I don't know about ashamed of, but it is interesting. It's an interesting perspective. I think, I think for me that there's a couple of things I want to say about that is like, let's not forget that this is Claybo's first ever distance medal at a championship as good as he's been on the world cup as dominant as he's been in sprints. Yeah. He's the 50 K world champion for me in 2021 and will be for the rest of my days, but he doesn't have a medal at home that's sitting in Merocker at Emma Leverson's house. So this was his first distance podium. And I think he skied a disciplined race too, in the sense that like, yeah, he, he had a horrendous transition with, with his bindings and, and losing some time, but the way Kruger was skiing in conditions like this, I I'm sorry. I, I, he left it a little too long and it was impressive that he came back to shoot and he was skiing the downhills and flats insanely well, but Kruger was like Jess said earlier. I mean, Kruger was, you saw it early as like he, he was, he was there to win when it hit, clicked in the skate, uh, skate bindings and just started drilling it. The other thing about Kruger though, that I think doesn't get enough credit for is like, he has nine starts individually, like at the world championships or Olympics, he has now eight medals. So, you know, we talked a lot back in the days about championship skiers and like, you know, Petter Nortug rings a bell and, and like Frodo Estill too, is a great example back in the days. So that's a deep cut that's aging me, but I am 40, but Frodo Estill, the great Norwegian skier was, was definitely a championship skier. Thomas Osgaard too, where like their world cup might be up and down or here and there. And then all of a sudden, like at the championships, you can kind of always count on Frodo still to deliver or, or Thomas Osgaard, but eight of nine chances, like what Kruger's doing here is flying quite under the radar and it kind of shouldn't be. And, and, and it reminded me today, watching today, it just reminded me how hard it is to thread that needle. I mean, in the last world championships, he had a silver and two bronzes doesn't get a start in the relay. Remember that for Norway? So this is like the, the level of the Norwegian ski team is, is we've been talking about this forever, but I mean, it's, it's never been stronger at the same time as the rest of the world has never been weaker. Um, and it's converging, but, but Kruger man, Olympic champion in the skiathlon world champion in the skiathlon now, plus all his other Paul Maris. I mean, he's going down as one of the greatest distance skiers ever i mean quickly at, at a championship i mean of course like soon be in the world cup and and of course bjorn dolly vegard Olving, like they're still total legends and Oscar too but but anyway i feel like kruger's not getting the the love he's kind of due because he's a little more of a subdued guy he's a little harder to cheer for he doesn't have that panache that the claybo has or or uh you know some of the other big stars uh throughout history but ama- amazing performances yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that like contributes to him maybe flying under the radar is that it's just another Norwegian winning a championship. It's kind of lost. There's like so many guys that cycle through. Uh, like Holland isn't in today's race. He's probably just going to get a start in the 15K. Iverson, like you said, has a gold uh, 
he has his own gold. I'm not sure if it's like the real gold um, from the 50K two years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like just another Norwegian standing on top of the podium. And it's like easy to forget like that greatness is like, yeah, happening right in front of us. Because remember like how long it took Sunby to get that monkey off his back? Like he raced an entire like Hall of Fame career before he ever had his individual gold. And like, here's Kruger, like, just starting to like stack them up. Like it's yeah, crazy, great career. I want to go with like the other guys too, because I mean, Portima, and I know everyone that listens to this podcast is just sick of me singing his praises, but I thought he skied a great race. And I mean, fifth place for the young Swede. I like his fire. I like how aggressive he was skiing. Callie Alverson too, man. Like he's been sixth now in the world championships four times, but uh, we talked about this yesterday on, on about the sprint, but like what a resurgence for him. These are, these are, he's stacking up like great races, being in the final and then being sixth in the skiathlon in conditions like that. He's a heavier guy. He's not the best in skating these days compared to like at his best. That's for sure. And I think he looked pretty strong in, in, uh, for, you know, for, for the 50 game class, you know, it, it's pretty impressive. And then the two young French or not, they're not young and that young anymore. That's dating me, but Paris and Lapierre, I thought like two guys in the top 10, um, they, I'm not, I, I love those guys. Uh, they, they locked out with like dead easy classic, like, uh, <laughs> filling it in class, it would have been harder for them to maybe stay with it, but who cares that the race is what it was. And Frederick Moch from Germany in seventh, he's had a great season so far. And, uh, you know, top eight, I mean, top 10 in the world championships is, is amazing for another, you know, he's the same age as poor mother. They're turning 23, both of them this year. So there's going to be a lot of racing left for those young athletes. And uh, I think that was pretty fun, even though, of course, like you said, Jess, I mean, Norway goes one, two, three, four, but they're the best in the world. And that's just how it is. It's like the dream team in basketball. Like, we're not surprised that the U.S. keeps winning Olympic gold in basketball. Just watch the NBA. Like, they're all American. And well, in cross-country skiing right now, that's kind of where it's, but they, they delivered great performances. Paul, too, I thought his interviews in Norwegian were great. Like, he had a great race. He said, like, I mean, like, I, uh, I'm really happy with how my race went. Of course, like, I would love to be at the podium, but I mean, come on. Uh, I can't look back at the race and say it was a disappointment. I think the only, I think the big disappointment for me, of course, is going to come, well, we're going to get to the big, big disappointment, but a disappointment that's maybe a little more meta than, like, names. This is what I want to ask you guys about. It's like this again. If we're going to have a championship skiathlon, you need to put not just one skiathlon in the program, but you need to put skiathlons in the program. I think this is bonkers. We're into February and we haven't seen a skiathlon since the Olympics last year. Like, what are we doing? Like what other sport can we compare right. a championship event you don't get to race with? So it, right. to it's me, like, it's disgusting. It's stupid. It's like, imagine if gymnastics, it's like, you know, you have or, or ice skating, like you have your, short program, your long program. And then at the Olympics, we're also going to have you like take penalty shots on a hockey goalie or something, you know, like it's okay. That's a little bit extreme, but I mean, you heard it a little bit from the athletes today, for sure. Like some of them, some of the North Americans came through the mix zone and were like, you know, yeah, this is the first, first skiathlon I've skied this year. Like Xavier McKeever was maybe like, this is the first pursuit I've skied ever. Maybe it was just the first one he'd skied this year, but like, yeah, it, 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 it makes no sense. And like, yeah, they had one on the books for Lillehammer and they didn't get to do it. So put one in the tour to ski, put one an another time, you know, like it's, it's not, it's not rocket science. So uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I will just say, I mean, that said, 
like I don't of all the like things that they do wrong I'm like does it how much does it really matter it's like yeah it's different but it's also like classic and skating and the so I like I don't get that fired up about it but I, I think at a fundamental level it is dumb like if you're gonna have a but but then it's also like you know we're also racing distances that we haven't raced all season two and like that's because they equalized world cup distances but like they need to take a more serious vote for world championships or olympics and it's like maybe we should be making these decisions with like a little bit more planning and foresight so everything can be alignment in alignment um but you know we can't have that because that's the way cross-country skiing is i don't know um i don't know if you have anything to add to that uh jess i do have a couple i actually want to come back to the four norwegians in the top four i mean I think as we saw over the entire rest of the season, it could have been eight or 10 Norwegians in the top eight or 10, if they were given that many start spots. And, you know, I was talking to um, Nicholas Deerhaug, uh, retired Norwegian world cup skier. And, you know, he was saying, this is the challenge for cross country skiing right now. And the big, in the big, the big problem is that there are no Russians here. You know, if, if, if the Russians were here, you know, you, they're, probably would have been at least a little bit more maybe maybe all the same colors still but a little bit more of a battle between different nations for those podium positions and of course you know this has been a big topic of discussion here as well is like you know we can't have the russians here because they're killing women and children in ukraine but you know this is this is what happens and we can i think you know we can blame vladimir putin i guess but um i don't know if that's that was I felt like that was also, you know, an interest, something, something that was worth reminding folks that, you know, had those Russians been here, the way this race played out could have been pretty different. Yeah, for sure. Like anytime you see like that domination at the top of the race, it's like Norway only got to start four people today. Um, like how far down would Norwegians have, have finished sweeping the top five, six, seven, if they got to start everyone they wanted to. Um, cause like they clearly have guys that are worthy of starts that probably didn't even get on a plane to go to Planitza in the first place, let alone like hanging around at the hotel, like waiting for their chance later this week. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, um, we, we kind of get bored of dynasties. Like we kind of cheer for them as they're like up and coming. You see it like in sports all the time, like the Patriots, the Warriors, like any dynasty that's like ascending, we're pretty pumped about it. But then like really quickly, we're really bored of it. And it's just like not that interesting anymore to see the same same people winning uh, like day in, day out, year after year. So I think we're kind of getting to that like winner fatigue, like dynasty fatigue with Norway. And um, yeah, it, it's just it's good to see like Paroma advancing, Cali like fighting, but they're really far from being like flipping the script like no one is close right now to to dismantling the dynasty that Norwegian men's skiing has. So like it's, it's a long, long haul. Um, I don't really know what the fix is. Um, I wanted to bring up one more thing and I actually would be really curious for both of your guys' perspectives on this as like retired um, competitors, but there was, you know, there was, there started to be kind of a, a lot of discussion as folks were coming through the mix zone. So there was a, there was a Finnish skier that, crashed in the middle or maybe early in in the race like he was right next to Gus Schumacher and he basically I, I haven't actually seen the replay I would guess maybe you guys have but 
he apparently went sort of uh, perpendicular into one of the like um uh, displays along the side of the trail and like hit it you know it, it wasn't padded and he ended up in the hospital um and it, you know it sounded like a pretty harsh thing and then in and just between there were it seemed like there were you know more crashes today definitely like kind of sketchy situation on the course apparently they did not salt today because actually it froze overnight unlike the night before when they did salt before the sprint race so i think there was an expectation that the course was going to hold up a little bit more but like clearly it was pretty sketchy out there and i you know just kind of looking at the way things have gone the last couple of days like i don't know what what else you do aside from like hold races and make them as safe as you can but it, it does have me just wondering about like is this the place and time for these races to be happening like do, do we need to be doing it on safer courses on less gnarly courses like or or do you feel like this is the kind of stuff we've seen over the past couple of days is just like stuff happens and that's ski racing is what it is I think I think we have like also a short memory, a little bit like Jess was saying with like dynasty fatigue and <laughs> we cheer and then forget quickly how pumped we were only a few years prior. And then we were like, oh, can somebody else win? I think it's a little bit the same with this. I mean, like we're like, oh man, this conditions are so sketchy and like, oh, it looks really chopped up and beat up. And like, man, should we be having races at this time of year? And like, is there anything we can do? And then you forget that like what happened in 2015 in Fallon in, in Scandinavia conditions were horrendous in Falun. What happened even in Oslo man, in 2011, there was some races. Yeah. We remember the 50 K when it was like Panzer and perfect, but there was also races in Oslo, like 50 K classic and stuff where it was like a sketch fest and not good conditions. So I think, listen, cross country skiing is a winter sport. I also think that like climate change is real. We're all experiencing that. We've been experiencing that for decades now. Um, this is just how it is. And as far as like dangerous, I mean, yeah, of course you should pad things that, that like corners that you think could be a problem and, and that sort of thing. But I mean, this ain't kids fuel, this ain't road cycling where people are smashing like bikes and collarbones, breaking femurs all over the place. Like cross country skiing is pretty tame. It's not so football. Also, no, it's not football. So I, I honestly, like, I don't mean to belittle this because of course, like organizers have to make sure the course is quote unquote safe for the athletes, but it's also the athlete's responsibility when they're racing. And sometimes, yeah, you know, somebody's cutting into you and taking you out. And we've seen that a bunch, like some hilarious clips of that <laughs> throughout the years where people are just getting taken out and they have no chance. Uh, Brian Gray comes to mind. It's like the best tomahawk I've ever seen in my life from uh, Edward Pedersen, like back in like, I don't know, 2009 or 12 or whatever, but back in the days, but, I'm, but regardless, I'm just saying, listen, people are going to crash. Hoff broke his leg in, in Cusimo. Yeah, it was sketchy in Cusimo. It's always burned up, but I don't know. I think it's racer responsibility. That That's that's my perspective. I know that sounds pretty cold, but I don't know what you think, Jeff. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like one thing that's interesting about a championship compared to just like a, a regular weekend in the World Cup is you have so many different nations that are showing up and racing here. Um, and like I looked at today's results and was surprised there was like 21 people uh, either didn't finish or got lapped out. And I thought like that sounded like pretty high. So actually like I look back at like the last three championships skiathlons and that's like pretty common. So I think like one thing you're seeing at a championship is just like these guys that are in over their head 
that normally don't do this race. And if they do, they don't do it against Kruger. They don't do it against Claybowl. Like they do it in the backwoods from whatever country they're from. Um, they don't, yeah. So they don't do it on a world championship course. They don't do it under the conditions like this. So it's, it's just like, it's a championship course. There's challenges to it. Um, but I kind of, I, I do agree with you, Nat, like the courses there feel a little sketchy. Like I raced there in 2016. Um, and like I did a sprint pretty poorly and the team sprint just a little bit better. Um, and one distance race and like it's fast ascents. There's like really twisty corners. Um, I didn't really do any like, you know, contested like head to head skiing. Um, but these guys going down the hill, they're going, you know, upwards of 50 K an hour in maybe some like ankle deep slush. Their legs are full of lactic acid. Like they're, they're pretty tired. So, um, we saw like a tough day today. I think we're going to see like a couple more really tough days um in the in the relays in the the finishing race on saturday sunday next week it's going to be yeah equally challenging like races of attrition one one thing that it feels like we can look forward to a little bit actually is uh i think the weather looks like it's going to be absolute garbage tomorrow with like snow rain but then uh Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it looks like it actually returns to, to semi-normal winter conditions, like highs of uh, below freezing starting starting Sunday. So probably by Slovenian standards, a, a cold snap, maybe not by Fairbanks, Alaska standards. But uh, yeah, I mean, definitely it, it's been interesting. I mean, I feel like I've heard actually quite a bit from, I, I haven't heard really anything yet about a uh, blown wax and blown skis feel like I've heard actually a lot of positive things to say, um, which, you know, I guess the conditions have been relatively consistent, if not stable. So um, maybe, maybe we'll see that change tomorrow and into, into next week as, as things change. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, we got a, there's a couple of things I want to address. One, I thought it was a, I thought the Americans would just touch like on the highlights of the Americans. Like I think Scott Patterson in 19th, like, yeah, I know we were used to seeing him at championships. He's kind of like more like a working man's Kruger where like he's maybe all over the place in the world cups, but comes to the championships and it's not surprising to see him in the top 15, even top 10 once in a while. And, and while 19th might not be like amazing as a result, if you look at the group that he's with, he's, he's not so far from Musgrave and, in 14th so he really was skiing in that group for the top 15 which is where we've seen him a lot even on seasons where he's been far worse than he's been this year so I thought it was like a solid day for Scott and Hunter Wonders in 24th you know just off that group like he struggled in the skate no no question but still like um like Jess is saying these are these are tough courses in tough conditions where everyone's on their best game so I thought not so bad for the American men, even though, yeah, of course, in the perfect world, we'd, we'd like to see Scott closer to the top 10, but not, not horrendous on the flip side. And I'm sorry to do this. Cause like, I know I'm a Homer and I cheer for Canada like crazy, but this has been a tough start for Canada, really tough start. And today, I don't know. I, I just want to have a bit of a discussion on today. Like today was a straight up fiasco for Canada. You had like Russell Kennedy, who is our top our top racer and he's he's 37th but he's 645 back like he's not even close and in an easy classic section where a lot of I'm not going to call them poor classic skiers because everyone's professional and they're they're solid class they're solid athletes but not the best classic technicians are 
are having no problem staying with the group and our guys are not even close and Olivier who's having a nightmare season really like prior to well not prior he's has one top 30 and he's a prior world junior medalist and remember he's been top 10 in the world cup as a first year senior and the guy is 805 back like he is not he's close to getting lapped i mean these laps are only 3.75k this was like a disastrous outing for olivier not the start that you want for the world championships and i mean you can try and put all the positive spin on it you want and you have to when you're an athlete and the 15k skate is his best event and that's coming up so maybe this is just what he needed to blow the carbon out but this was a train wreck of a race and then i, I saw like xavier mckeever i was actually really surprised that he started and i'm actually just questioning the leadership to put zav in this race to be perfectly honest like i thought it was a bit questionable to take him to world championships uh, he, i mean in the sprint he at the trials races he was second in canada so like he was no question should have the opportunity if he wants to go and that's how our our selections are structured in canada we can have a whole nother podcast of what i think about that but but the regardless is like he, he made an objective criteria for for the classic sprint but then he went to world juniors and really struggled and underperformed and I was surprised to even see they took him, but I'm like, okay, I'd give him the chance in the sprint and maybe let him do the 15 K skate where he's by himself. He could learn a lot, but to see his name pop up in a, in a 30 K skiathlon and then almost get lapped and be the second last finisher. I'm just not totally sure what the learning is. Um, I don't know. I, I just, it, it leaves a kind of a bad taste in my mouth and it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough, tough start to these world championships for Canada. We didn't touch on Graham Ritchie, who sneaked into the heats yesterday. Of course, he was 20th in the sprint, uh, which is solid. That's solid, but it's not good. I mean, like Graham Ritchie's better than that. So it's it's been a really tough start. And I, I just wanted to hear Jess's perspective and your perspective, Matt, before we round this yeah, one off. And for sure. Yeah, like I, I saw a picture, I can't remember, it was on Instagram, of uh, Tony Sear holding a broken classic ski, I think. Um, and I didn't actually see that on the broadcast. So that that would totally wreck his race um like breaking that ski he was like not where where i would expect him and then he ended up dropping out of the race so um i think it's hard to say like he he wasn't that far from getting into the heats yesterday tony's like he can flip the switch pretty quickly um i'll like try to rein the optimism on team canada here no no but no but uh, before you do before you do i'm gonna interrupt you for a second because tony i'm glad you brought that up of course tony had been sick in his altitude camp prior to the games and you've been there i've been there you never know how that that cook how that cookie crumbles tony no matter what happens this season at this world championships has had like a great season it's a real breakout he's been consistent and he's making a huge step and he has a week to the 50k which i think and always thought was his best chance that's his best chance and he's got a week. So he, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Tony bounce back, but in general, like I'm just talking the state of the union right now, do you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 And I think like, I was kind of right there with you with, um, you know, Zav getting the start in, in the 30 K, but I think it's like, it's not a bad idea because we don't actually have much going on in Canada right now for racing. Um, so supporting Zav showing like, but we'll take you to some races and like get you some like good competition. Like obviously he doesn't want to be second last on the result list. Like that's not, that's not what Xavier works like all summer and and all fall training for. Um, But you know, like still young guy, like he's not that far behind one of his old training partners, Joe Davies, who's now racing for the British team and uh, going to school in Alaska, doing some training in Norway. Um, They, they were guys that Eric Renneveld and I used to coach on foothills. Um, so they're, you know, relatively close, 
still not like where either of them want to be. Um, but yeah, I think like if I was, you know, helping Zav like figure things out, like for like what to do with the racing season that, you know, world juniors didn't really go like you expected. That's, it's not the worst thing to bring him and like, just show him what it's like at the show too. Like even just to like, let him see like life goes on after world juniors where it didn't go your way. Like there's still racing that's happening out there. Like there's still other things like, um, world juniors is done, but like get back on the horse, like get back to work. There's like a lot of shit to do. I agree with you, Russell, like his, his classic scheme wasn't strong today. And then that, that put him in a position like way behind the eight ball, um, that he couldn't really ski with like guys that are his, his fitness in the skate. So that's a bummer, but, um, yeah. Don't get me wrong with, with the Zav. Like, I think, like I said, like, yeah, okay. He made the criteria to do the sprint. And I think, you know, he's been so strong in classic sprinting domestically that what a great opportunity to, to allow him to get a chance in that. And I think, I think the relay too. I mean, like we just, like you said, we don't have depth right now in yeah, Canadian exactly. skiing. So yeah. having, having Zav in the, in the relay is a huge boon. That's a bonus, but, but still, I think this is a mistake that we we've, we've done. And the U S has done a better job of this over the years is we don't have any concurrent circuit that we're taking these young guys to, to race yeah. and get comfortable in Europe. We're not taking these young guys to the OPA. We're not taking these young guys to Norwegian cups or, or Scandinavian cups. We're saying like, well, there's a whole crew to world championships and yeah, I mean, give her that, that you'll learn something. It's like in some ways. Yeah. But in other ways, it's like, I, I'm not totally, I, I'm not totally convinced. It, it's it's a little bit the same of like Olivier, you know, like he's been on the world cup all season long. And when he's underperforming on the world cup, there's like these huge fights to keep him in the world cup and know he needs more and more and more and more world cups. Whereas if he was in other nations, it's like, you're getting punted to the OPA. Even if you're in France, you're punted to the OPA, bro. Like you're not good enough. And instead we're like, no, no, we got to keep you there. Keep you there. Keep you there. And like Olivier is a generational talent for us in Canada. I mean, we have Alex Harvey that's medaled at world juniors and Olivier and that's it individually. So he's, he's a humongous talent that we need to take care of and, and seeing him. Yeah. Third last in a, in a race that suits him really, really well is kind of, it's scary. I mean, it's not where he needs to be. And so, and the uh, program know, needs that. So anyway, anyway, it's, it's just like, I'm just, of course I'm a homer. I want the best for Canada. And I mean, yeah. And, I, yeah, and it wasn't a good I, day for Canada. And it just, like, and it just wasn't a good day. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, no, yeah. There's I mean, no way to sugarcoat. It wasn't a good day. The, the only things I would actually add really quickly, and I, I actually didn't think that I had a lot to add, but um, uh, like both of those guys, Olivier and, um, and Xavier, when they came came through the mix zone, um, they they were pretty positive and pretty cheerful, and you know I think feeling pretty, you know, like this is this is race one out of four or five, and you know I don't know, not that that takes the the leadership off the hook, but I think you know if you're having expectations of being top ten and you're getting your ass kicked and miserable about it, like that is a different experience than if you were having kind of realistic expectations about, about what you're doing, I mean, like, yeah, if, if these guys had the option to be racing, like, you know, Scando cups or something right now, obviously it seems like that's a level where they'd be doing more competitive racing, but um, you know, also from my perspective, it's like, okay, these teams are working with limited resources. Like what else are you going to do? I mean, I will note just, I kind of looked, um, Xavier was, I think the only 19 year old in this race, like and the only 20 year olds in this race were, you know, dudes from far Eastern European countries that were, 
getting lapped. That said, it was like actually a pretty fast 30k like hour and 10 minutes. So, you know, um, those are those are my meter contributions to our analysis of the Canadian performances today. Um, I, I also just, you know, want to um, tip my cap to, to Gus Schumacher, who, you know, I think by all accounts, his own account was struggling pretty hard today. And, you know, basically was like, I, he was like, I, I gutted it out all the way to the finish line because, you know, there are going to be times when I'm trying to win a race, when I need to gut it out all the way to the finish line. And, you know, you don't want to shut it down. And, you know, that guy has had some ups and downs over the past year, but, you know, the professionalism that I feel like we see from him in, in kind of just keeping an, an even keel and taking the questions for media. Like I just, that stuff's really, I think it, it's hard to do and it's, it's underappreciated and um, you know, I notice it and I hope that other folks do too, because I think, you know, Gus is, maybe not in the same spot with the amount of pressure that was on him maybe like a year ago with, you know, Scott and, and Hunter wonders performing pretty well, but you know, it's hard to be an American distance skier when a lot of folks are kind of looking to you and you're not necessarily delivering the performances that other people and that you yourself know you're capable of. Oh, for sure. And I think that is Jess can weigh in on this too, but I mean, I think with, with Gus, it's, 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 it's extra hard. And I just see the parallels a lot with, with uh, Hans Christer Holden world junior champion, the world is your oyster. Everyone's expecting huge things. And with Hans Christer, I mean, like he, he toiled back in like the nineties in like the hundreds in Norwegian cups for a couple of years. He was working as a janitor, honestly, uh, for a part of that time, like really questioning, like, what am I doing? And, and he slowly built himself back through like the Norwegian club system to be the double world champion. I mean, like not just that in the re in, he has more than just two world championship gold, but two individual world championship golds and stuff. So for, for a talent like, like Gus, I know it's really hard and hopefully you don't listen to this Gus, but the fact of the matter is like, don't, you can't lose faith and it's not working right now, but like Olivier, he was also top 10 in a distance race as a first year senior, which shows that your potential and he's world junior champion individually. Um, so the talents there uh, and this rough patch is like, like his perspective that he told you in the mix zone, that's really good to hear. Cause it is true. Like you're going to have to take some knocks in this sport and you're going to have to take some knocks in life. And, and it's, uh, you kind of have to internalize that and try and try and not let it get you too down. I mean, I, that was my biggest problem in my career. Like, man, I would get so down, like really, really go to war with myself. And that's just so not constructive and it doesn't help you on the journey if you want to have long-term success so to hear such young athletes with perspective like that even under a major challenge i mean like gus had a raunch fest of a day today um that's good that's good to hear but it the, you know the road forward is is going to be a challenge and that yeah what can you say i mean those results i just named are just going to be things that like hackers like me and other journalists bring up over and over and over again because those pulmonaries actually happened and and that that can be kind of a curse for some people too. You know what I mean? Because people are measuring you up. It's like, you are the next one. Like what happened? And you know, who knows what's going on or what changes he needs to make or blah, 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 blah. But the fact of the matter is he is where he is right now and he's not where he wants to be. And uh, man, my heart goes out to him for sure. Yeah. I think it's interesting with like athlete development because there are some athletes that can train hard enough to go from being, you know, like a top 30 skier to eventually being a top five and like a, a podium skier um, and, and do that training. And then in conjunction with that, you like have those steadily improving results. 
But I think there's also some people like Rosie Brennan's a really good example. Like she was doing enough training to eventually get to that point where she could win a ski race. But it was like such a heavy load to be working under that she wasn't actually racing to that potential that she was going to eventually reach. Um, so like Gus and like all these guys, um, they, they know like what it takes to like train to eventually win. But, um, you know, along that way, like you might be just training too hard to actually like reap the benefits along the way. It's like the journey itself might be kind of crappy, but the destination will end up being pretty good. Um, or it's like three, four or five years of like really tough training with results that are just not going to like match up. Um, and I even look at like Andrew Musgrave, like he took a long time of like living and training his face off in Norway uh, before it started to pay off. Um, and like, yeah, there's some, some athletes like Claybo, he just trained hard enough to win and then was winning in conjunction with that training. Um, and that's like the dream, like that's, that's really what you want, but that's not how it goes for everyone. Um, so it's just interesting to see like, yeah, people that show that potential, they kind of plateau or even get a little bit worse, but like, that's kind of like on a micro scale, like what you want from training. So it's easy to lose track of like the macro development too, of like, maybe you have like one or two years that you're kind of getting worse at racing, um, to eventually like take the load off, um, and have that, like that, that adjustment to when you can actually win a race. Well, guys, um, I got to uh, go order my pizza and pass out while eating it. I appreciate it, Jess. Uh, you get back to studying. Say hi to Annika for me. And thanks for joining us, especially on short notice. Yeah, thanks for having me. Will do. We'll have you on again. You know that. If there's one thing we know, Alex Harvey and Jess Cockney will be back on the <laughs> podcast in the near future. So thanks a lot for taking the time, man. Love it. Thanks, guys. We'll, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. See you guys later. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.